one of the criticisms levelled against us by those in the world is that we tend to think that we are the only people who are right and who will eventually gain the salvation God has promised. Such assertions are based on complete misconceptions of what we believe and hope and they are not easy to correct until the truth is understood in its beauty and simplicity. The scriptures plainly declare that there is only one gospel and only one name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved. It's this, it is in him that we trust and in him all our hopes are centred. In him we look for life, knowing that only through him can we obtain that life which God has promised. Basically, we are no different from other people, no different from the world of the ungodly. We have the same flesh and blood, the same weaknesses and the temptations, feelings of pain, sorrow, depression, ill health and old age, and the same nature which has a tendency to do things which are godless, rather those which, than those which are godly. The difference lies in the truth which has shined into our hearts, as it were, and which has revealed to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of his Son, Jesus Christ. Because of this, we look in faith to him and through him for the forgiveness of our sins and life eternal in the day when he comes to take his own. This position in which we stand is solely the result of God's mercy and love towards us. It's a position which should not make us overconfident, although at times it does, and nor should it make us proud or boastful but humble and grateful servants, with our conscience always tender to his commands. The, the ungodly by which we are surrounded is fast hastening to an eternal grave. And from this we have been delivered. We have been granted a hope of life eternal, but at present it's only a matter of hope. The final issue will be decided in the day of judgment and the issue will be decided largely upon how we have reacted to our own weaknesses and our failures and our endeavours to overcome them. The chapters we're reading in the, the Romans helps us to put this matter in its correct perspective and therefore we feel we can with profit reflect on those words for a few moments before we take the emblems. Without going into the arguments in the previous chapters, it's evident that the Apostle is trying to build up in our minds the need to suppress the ever-present tendency to glory in the flesh and to replace it with humble reliance on God's mercy and faith in his promises. The fourth chapter opens with the words, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. 
So then if the rule of success were to be what a man does, or a woman, Abraham would have caused to boast before men who did less. But the fact is, the apostle says it was not just a question of his works, but the faith which we had. And that was the motive power behind all that he did. So in verse 3, for what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. A quotation from the book of Genesis. Abraham's works came because of his faith. In fact, they were the outworking of a living faith. People today, as they have always done, often make a great show of what they've accomplished, and their friends sing their praises. But apparently, excellent works do not always spring from excellent motives. This is one of the characteristics of the deceitful heart, which naturally lies in us all. The full extent of this, God alone can judge. In Abraham's case, he started with the right mind and motive. He believed God, and this was counted as works in God's sight. Now, the whole of the argument in this chapter in Romans is built upon this theme, what God regards as true righteousness. And as we reflect upon it, we shall find there is allowance made for human weakness. But firm exhortation is given to overcome by trust and faith in God's promises. We will notice in this chapter the words counted, reckoned, imputed. And in the original, these words are actually the same, the same word. The emphasis laid on these particular words is of great importance as individuals because we will notice they are not only applied to people like Abraham and David but to us as well. Now it was written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered for our offences that belief in Jesus in the fullest sense of that phrase is as commendable in us today as Abraham's belief in God and his promises was in those distant ages. In fact, Abraham is set before us as an example because he did in faith in his day just what we are required to do in ours. It's true, of course, that we today have much more grounds for our faith we look back to what has been achieved by the seed promised to Abraham, whereas Abraham can only look forward. What we can read of and remind ourselves of in these emblems, he could only picture as something that would happen in the distant future after he'd had fallen asleep. Yet it was Jesus himself who said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. With the eye of faith, he looked forward to that time when that seed should be revealed. And what do we think? Abraham saw as he thought of the promise God had made to him. Did he picture Christ as him and himself inheriting the earth? No doubt he must have done, for, but that was not all that he pictured. He perceived the divine scheme of redemption to be realised through this seed of promise and involving, as it did, suffering and death 
of one who would take away the sin of the world. It was taught to him in the offering of his son Isaac, whom he received, as it were, in a figure from the dead. It was taught by the covenant made with him when the burning lamp passed between those divided pieces of the animal. The very emphasis on the fact that it would be through him and his seed that all nations would be blessed. And it shows the special work which was to be done by Jesus, his special seed. Such a result Abraham would know could not be achieved by a mortal ruler, however capable he might be. The blessing of God was to be everlasting, forever, as was the promise itself, and it could only be achieved by the destruction of death, and this was to be done by the seed promised to him. All these things were comprehended in Abraham's faith in the promises. The fact that Abraham's faith was counter to him for righteousness infers that, it's, that in the absence of faith there can be no righteousness, whatever our works may be. Apart from faith, there can be no justification. And we look at verse 5 in, that, in this chapter. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. To justify means to make or declare right. So it is one who believes in God who justifies the ungodly. It is not just a question of belief in God, his existence and power, but faith in the fact that he will justify the ungodly. That is the faith which Abraham had. It requires a recognition that by nature we are all ungodly. Abraham was, Israel were, and we too. But how can we be Abraham, be... How can we be like Abraham was and Israel were? But how can we be justified? It is by the covering of sin. And this Paul proves by his quotation from the Psalms. And so in this chapter we read, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So then if God does not impute sin because it is covered, the result will be that in most that he must impute righteousness. And so it was with Abraham. He had faith in the promise and he looked forward to the work of reconciliation in Christ. And because of his faith, his sins were covered and he had hope of life. He looked beyond the immediate present and this enabled him to submit to the discomfort of a wandering life with, its, with no permanent dwelling place. He maintained his faith and moral standards, unlike those about him with their idols and obnoxious fleshly lusts. He walked by faith. The things on which his affections were set were in the future. He looked for the fulfilment of God's promises and submitted to the fact that for the present he could have no permanent dwelling place, not so, so much as set his foot on. 
But he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Because of this, his ways were ordered of the Lord, his life was controlled, he was led not only in spiritual things, but in temporal things. He made mistakes, of course, but he suffered for them, and he overcame. He held on, held on to the end of his probation in faith, and that faith was counted to him for righteousness. We read, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Therefore, it is a faith that it, might, that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham, the father of us all, so we today around this table believe in God who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. So it will be belief in the hope held out that mind and disposition, that faith in the purpose of God, which will be the means of obtaining for us a covering for sin, that iniquity might not be imputed to us. And so we read from an alternative translation, we distrust, no distrust made his way in waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that's why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. There the character of Abraham is real to us. What is our position? Have we the same faith as Abraham? Are we holding on as strongly as he did? Is Abraham our father? We meet in the present presence of the bread and the wine. Do we recognise in them the means of forgiveness and reconciliation? Let us always remember it is the state of mind which counts in God's sight. If God imputes righteousness to us, our sins are covered. And if our sins are covered, then we are in the way of life. It depends today as it did in the days of Abraham on our attitude to the present. Do we hold it with a light hand, as did Abraham? Or is the present our main interest in, this, in the truth a sideline? Is our love for God stronger than our love for self and for the world? The psalm from which the Apostle quotes shows us the right attitude we should adopt in these matters. Psalm 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. 
I acknowledge my sin to thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this shall every one that is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come near unto him. Can we not see the mind of David? There have been some who in the face of obvious disobedience to the divine commands have professed to have enjoyed themselves. The months pass by and the years pass by and the onlooker can see they were really deceiving themselves and they're not happy until they turn back to the right and the proper path. If we follow the false way, let us have the wisdom and courage to do what David did. God is merciful today as he was then, but we must show a spirit of humility and earnestness and recognise our own weaknesses. In these, God delights. So in verse 9 of Psalm, in the Psalm, we read, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near to you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall comfort him about. It is very possible that this psalm was uttered by David at the time when he was smarting under the results of his folly in the matter of Bathsheba. In this he fell grievously, but once his sin had been pointed out to him by the Lord's messenger, he was not stubborn. He did not insist that because he was a king he must not be rebuked. He did not insist that he had the right to do this or that. He immediately reacted, I have sinned. This mistake produced unfortunate results. If we are buffeted because of our faults, it is good for us. In our chapter read together from the book of Samuel, we have just one of those bitter experiences of David, doubtless developed in the divine providence as a result of his folly. The weakness to which he had yielded was now being manifest in his own family and produced a most humiliating situation for any father. It had always resulted in the death of a son and was shortly to result in the death of another. He was driven out of his capital city, but he took it patiently and his character was purged. He was content to wait for God to work. He was cursed by Shimei in the public, but he submitted. The Lord has bidden his curse. His faithful counsellor, Ahithophel, joined hands with his son. And why? Probably because he was a relative of Bathsheba and knew of David's despicable act with regard to her. But there was no rebellion on the part of David. He recognised the punishment and he looked to the end. He said in the psalm, Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin. Because he acknowledged his sin, the Lord imputed not iniquity to him. The promise of a son who should reign in his throne remained with him. 
the sacrifice for sin was to be made by one who would come out of his loins, and he himself will rise in due time to a distinguished place in the kingdom. If we suffer for our mistakes, as we often do, let us follow David's example. Let us not rebel against it, but with humbleness of heart, submit and obey. We are chastened now that we should not be condemned with the world. We may say God should not permit us to be treated unjustly. Why should people be allowed to wreak their tempers, their vengeance, pride or arrogance on us? The answer is, it's for our profit. We might just as well ask, why was Christ permitted to suffer a cruel death at the hands of wicked people? We are told he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. It was necessary that the serpent power should do its worst, and it did by divine arrangement. He was delivered to our offences and raised again for our justification. That same word comes back which the Apostle used in the letter to the Romans. If we are justified through him, our sins are forgiven. In other words, they are not imputed to us and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus and recognise in hope of the glory of God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How then do we view our probation, our life in the truth? It is evident from this chapter that there is a wrong way and there is a right way. The wrong way is to rebel and try to please ourselves, to use fleshly reasoning to justify our actions. If that is our attitude or of mind, our attendance around this table will mean nothing. But if we humble ourselves and examine ourselves truly in the light of God's word, if we trust in his overruling hand in our lives, as Abraham did, if we look to the end and do not rest on the present, then we may confidently hope that our sins will be covered and we are in the way of everlasting life. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, him whom we now remember.